Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. Save! Save us! You're the King! Save us! Save now! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I pray that before this morning is over, we will know our Lord in ways deeper and richer and higher and wider than maybe we've ever known him before. And so we have a special presentation this morning. I like to refer it to as Christ, our Passover. And my prayer is that before the morning is over, if you didn't already know, you will understand the connection between the feast of Passover, unleavened bread and first fruits, and communion. That's what we take the first of every month. We will take communion this month as we go on through the service, and I hope that you can see it through the eyes of the apostles as they took it with the Lord that night in the upper room. I'd like to begin just by reading out of Luke chapter 19 at verse 29, and it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you where you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat, loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it, just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owner said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many people spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Hosanna, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Father God, I pray that as your children... As followers of your son, Jesus Christ, we would recognize this time, these days that we live in. 
not only as we pause to remember and celebrate you are king and you are savior but lord jesus we would look at the world about us and see the need see the darkness and be that salt and light proclaiming to the world blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, this morning I'm excited. <laughs> I'm always excited, but I'm excited this morning for this message. As Jesus came down that hill into Jerusalem, down the Palm Sunday Road, it is known, the Pharisees chided the crowd and asked Jesus to tell his disciples to stop celebrating him, stop praising him, stop declaring him king. And you remember what Jesus said, if these would be silent, even the rocks would cry out. My favorite souvenir from Israel. On the Palm Sunday road, I found this little rock, picked it up, put it in my pocket, and I've been waiting for it to talk ever since. <laughs> but, you know, as long as the church is declaring Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, this rock will remain silent. So we're going to put it right here this morning. And if it starts talking, you know your job. This is the week we celebrate. It's often referred to as Passion Week, uh, about 30 A.D., Anno Domini, year of our Lord, about 1,993 years ago. It's also known as the Feast of Passover or the Festival of Redemption, and it really involves an eight-day-long feast with the Feast of Passover or Pesach, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, also known as Hag Hamatzah, and the Feast of Firstfruits, Sfirat. Heomer. And it is involved in this long week. Jesus comes in on this Sunday. We know it as the triumphal entry because the people laid down their clothes and the donkey, the colt that he was riding on, was just had that royal red carpet entrance. And they took branches, palm fronds, and they were waving them in celebration of this conquering king coming in to his kingdom. That's why we call it Palm Sunday, from the waving of the palm branches. And uh, it was also a day that was reflective of something that had been spoken of in the Scriptures 1,500 years earlier. It began the observation day of the sacrificed lambs, those lambs that would be sacrificed later that week. The day that Jesus rode into town, on the Hebrew calendar is Nisan 10. According to our calendar today, this morning, as we gather, is Nisan 11. And so we're almost lined up with the Scriptures in terms of the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. After He came in on that Sunday and was proclaimed King on Monday, we remember He cleansed the temple. I referred to that in the announcements a little bit earlier. 
He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he did a little bit of house cleaning. He did a little bit of spring cleaning. And on the way out of town, he cursed the fig tree, a representative of the nation of Israel that was fruitless and barren. The next day, Tuesday, we found Jesus teaching in the temple, and we see his Olivet Discourse prophesying what would happen in the last days. And it's also during this time from Nisan 10 for four days that they would be inspecting the lambs to make sure that they are without spot and blemish, that they would be adequate sacrifices for the sins of the world. Just as the the town, Jerusalem, the scribes, the Pharisees, the people were inspecting Jesus himself. Then on Wednesday, we come to Preparation Day. It begins at sunset on Nisan 14. That will be April 5th, Wednesday, for all of us. And it's the night that Jesus would have his last supper. He would celebrate the Passover, or technically a pre-Passover meal. If you read the scriptures, all four Gospels, you'll see this corroborated. It was technically the day before the official Passover meal when Jesus and his disciples sat down, beginning at sunset on Nisan 14. But you'll notice that the Passover meal, there was no roast lamb recorded in the Gospels. And it's that meal in which Jesus instituted communion. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Jesus himself, in fact, is our Paschal Lamb. And that evening he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. On Thursday, we see a series of trials that begin before the sun rises. For you know the day Thursday begins at sunset the day before. And all night long, Jesus is arrested and beaten and mocked and tried. Many false trials in Caiaphas's house, Herod's, Pilate's. And there is a crucifixion then at 3 p.m. on that Passover day. The same time that the Passover lambs were being sacrificed in Jerusalem, we see Jesus then being laid into the tomb and Passover beginning at sunset on the high Sabbath of Nisan 15, the date also when the Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. Then Friday, Jesus is in the tomb. Saturday, known as Black Sabbath, Jesus is still in the tomb. But that night, after the th first three stars appeared in the sky, we don't know when, but Jesus rose. And we began celebrating Nisan 16, the Feast of First Fruits. And this is why we gather on Sunday, the first day of the week. It's in recognition of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, the first fruits of those who have conquered sin and death. The tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. Hallelujah. Oh. Okay, so this morning is Palm Sunday. In remembrance of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem as the crowds wave their palm fronds in honor of the coming Messiah, the Deliverer of Israel. And yet we know from the Scriptures that while the crowd cheered, Jesus wept. 
understanding the high price that their deliverance would cost him. And that how, before the week was out, those same crowds would be crying, crucify him. Jesus' mission as Messiah, the focus of the gospel writers, the focus of the entire Bible, and certainly the focus of the Feast of Passover was summarized early in Jesus' ministry by John the Baptist when he proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Many have said, and without a doubt, this was the most important week in all of human history. Some may wonder why it seems as though Christmas Day gets the lion's share of the glory, the traditions, the carols, compared to the day on which God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. I remember wondering that as a child. If this is the most important week in history, then where are all the carols, the trees, the lights, the gifts? Like Christmas. Surely there should be more to this than chocolate bunnies and painted eggs. Sadly, the blame for this travesty came at the very place most people would expect to find the truth. It came from the church itself. At eight years old, I became a skeptic, a doubting Thomas. I desperately needed to put my fingers into Christ's wounds, to see his body broken for me, his blood shed for me. History teaches us that up through AD 250, the early churches celebrated the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection in harmony with the Jewish feast of Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. But by AD 325, at the Council of Nicaea, it was called to establish church doctrine and settle disputes between the Western European churches and the Eastern Asian churches. Tragically, in a spirit of anti-Semitism, the council ordained that Christ's resurrection should be celebrated on the first Sunday in spring, according to the Roman calendar, and synchronized with the holiday of the pagan Roman fertility goddess Ishtar, come to known by, to us as Easter. In hopes of distancing Christianity from Christ rejecting Judaism. This is why we celebrate Palm Sunday today and not yesterday, Nisan 10. And sadly, it worked. Enter Ishtar bunnies and Ishtar eggs and exit the most important week in world history. Today, no less of an authority than the Roman Catholic Pope Benedict XVI has gone on record as saying that the Roman Catholic liturgical calendar of Christ's crucifixion, burial, and resurrection is in error. And it should be better understood <laughs> in light of the scriptural record. Amen, I agree. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read at verse 7.
Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So when they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may prepare a Passover, the Passover to eat with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There, make ready. And so he went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. The events of Passion Week can be found in Matthew's Gospels, verses chapters 21 through 28, in Mark's Gospels, 11 through 16, in Luke's Gospels, here in chapter 19 through 24, and in John's Gospels, chapter 12 through 20. If you do the math, that is 30 out of 89 chapters in the Gospels. It's a full one-third of the Gospels is all about one week. And it's too much for us to cover on one Sunday. So this morning's focus will be on the Feast of Passover. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Quoting from 1 Corinthians 5, 7. The Passover meal is a biblical celebration of God's miraculous deliverance of the nation of Israel from bondage and slavery in Egypt almost 3,500 years ago and prophetically foreshadowed in Jesus' fulfillment of the deliverance of the world from bondage and slavery to sin almost 2,000 years ago. The account of the first Passover is found in the book of Exodus in chapters 12, verses 1 through 28. I'm going to read through that, leaving out just a couple small details. But this is Exodus 12, verses 1 through 28. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. Thus you shall eat it, with your belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast in the everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. 
On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses, so you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. For seven days no leaven shall be pounded in your houses, since whoever eats what is leaven, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he's a stranger or a native in the land, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come into the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now, in addition to the gospel chapters that I spoke about, the Passover can also be found taught throughout the Old Testament in Exodus chapters 6, chapter 11, 12, 13, 23, and 34, in Leviticus 23, in Numbers 9, 28, and 33, in Deuteronomy 16, in Joshua 5, in 2 Chronicles 30 and 35, and in Ezra 6. And the Passover is the single most referenced event in the Bible that's sitting on your lap. It's important. And yet, sadly, too many Christians are ignorant of what the Passover is is all about. So, every spring at the first full moon that comes on Nisan 14, for the past 3,468 years, the Passover occurred about 1446 B.C., Pesach, or Passover, has been celebrated by retelling the story following an ordered feast. I'm going to use a lot of Hebrew words this morning. One of them I will introduce to you right now is the Hebrew word for order. That's the word seder. And this morning, we will be going through an ordered feast or an ordered meal that will follow a script. Now, just to be sure, disclaimer time, I'm not Jewish. Sharing a Passover feast is not cultural appropriation. As Christians, it's very appropriate that we celebrate our Lord's Passover. It's our heritage as disciples of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ. It is the Passover meal that Jesus was sharing with his disciples the night he instituted the communion of the believers with the bread, his body broken for us, and the wine, his blood shed for us, instructing his followers, do this, as often as you do it, in remembrance of me. So, whether Christian or Jew, this Passover's for you. By way of humorous illustration, a little story kind of will point out our common spiritual heritage in Jesus, our Messiah. A Jewish father was concerned about his son, who was about a year away from his bar mitzvah, but was sorely lacking in his knowledge of the Jewish faith. 
to remedy this, he sent his son to Israel to experience his heritage. A year later, the young man returned home. Father, thank you for sending me to the land of our fathers, the son said. It was wonderful and enlightening. However, I must confess, while in Israel, I converted to Christianity. Oi vey, replied the father, what have I done? So in the tradition of the patriarchs, the father went to his best friend and sought advice and solace. It's amazing that you should come to me, stated his friend. I too sent my son to Israel, and he returned a Christian. So in the tradition of the patriarchs, they went to the rabbi. It's amazing that you should come to me, stated the rabbi. I too sent my son to Israel, and he returned a Christian. What's happening to our sons? Brothers, we must take this to the Lord, said the rabbi. So they fell to their knees and began to wail and pour out their hearts to the Almighty. As they prayed, the clouds opened up, and a mighty voice answered, Amazing, you should come to me. I too sent my son to Israel. <laughs> now, the term for a Jew who receives Jesus as his Messiah is a messianic Jew or a completed, a fulfilled Jew. And as followers of Jesus Christ, they are fully Christian just as you and I. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 8, we read this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by what is, by what is called the circumcision made with, in the flesh by hands, excuse me, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. As I mentioned, Passover is a Hebrew feast with many Hebrew words. One of them is Haggadah. Haggadah is a Hebrew word that means rehearsing or telling, telling of a story. And as we will see, the meal we have has many things in common with the first Passover recorded in Exodus 12, and also the one celebrated by Christ and his disciples. Rabbi Gamaliel, teacher of Rabbi Saul, we know as the Apostle Paul, said that the story must include three elements, the matzah, or unleavened bread, the maror, or the bitter herbs, and the Pesach, or the Passover lamb. Now, over the centuries, traditions and symbols have been added, much as our Christian Christmas traditions 
uh, have changed over the centuries, but the fundamental elements remain just as they were on that spring evening 1,993 years ago when Jesus gathered his disciples to an upper room just as he and his family would have always done every year since his childhood. This morning's abbreviated Messianic Haggadah, or retelling of the story of God's promised deliverance of a people enslaved in a sinful world, will prayerfully demonstrate that God's sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world is indeed the Lord himself, Yeshua HaMashiach, our Passover. This is a fun one. This is an illustrated Haggadah. Notice that the pages turn not from right to left, but left, left to right, opposite of us, right? And uh, usually they're illustrated, they're fun, kids get, enjoy them, got a lot of pictures and stuff, and it tells the story. And it's basically the Seder, the order that you go through is scripted in the Haggadah. So we're going to kind of go through some of that scripted meal that explains the story of God's deliverance of his people out of bondage and into liberty through the sacrifice blood of the Lamb. Now, the Passover feast begins several days in advance. I said on the 10th of Nisan, as we had read in the Scriptures in Exodus chapter 12, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And moving into verse 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your homes. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. We read, we read in Luke chapter 22, verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. So, according to the Exodus account, preparations began on the 10th of Nisan with the inspection of the lamb and removing leaven from the house. Now, no, it was on Sunday, Nisan 10, that Jesus rode triumphantly into uh, Jerusalem. So that's what we're celebrating, the beginning of the inspection of the people until the day of the sacrifice. Now, in Messianic and Orthodox Jewish homes to this day, it's the wife who begins cleaning several days before Passover to ensure that all leaven is removed from the home. This is a floor-to-ceiling cleaning and may even include buying new dishes. Thus, we get the tradition of spring cleaning. That's where it comes from. Now, the first part of the order, according to the rehearsing of the story is known as Bedekat Hametz, or the search for the leaven. Hametz is the Hebrew word for leaven, okay? Um, so Bedekat Hametz is the search for the leaven. Leaven, as you might know in your Bible, often pictures sin, that which puffs up, and it's to be removed. And the point is that Matzah or unleavened bread 
uh, needs to be purified. No, no leaven in the house. According to our Christian tradition, in the New Testament, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So we see, according to the Scripture, a period of four days of introspection. And it's appropriate, according to the Scriptures, according to the approach of Passover. And I would note, it's not 40 days of introspection or preparation, such as the man-made time of Lent, okay? Many of you are probably familiar with Lent, if you know anything of the Catholic tradition. And that started a little bit more than 40 days ago. And the way that this works is that on Tuesday, it starts on a, a Wednesday, midweek, so on Tuesday, everybody goes out and parties like it's the end of the world. It's nicknamed Fat Tuesday. You know it better as Mardi Gras. The next day is Ash Wednesday, when a piece of ash is placed upon your forehead, signifying that you are now fasting. And you go through this Lenten season of not only fasting, but total abstinence on Fridays. But funny, they don't actually observe Lent on Sundays. It's optional if you want to or don't want to. You might also know that it's for people 18 to 59 years old. So if you're younger or older than that, you don't have to do it. But the whole picture here is taking a look inside and seeing, is there sin in my house? Is there sin in my heart? And truly, this is one of the places to start on Palm Sunday as we enter into this week and we want to set it apart as unique, as special in our life. We start by looking at our hearts and set ourselves apart unto the Lord. So indeed, the Christians are instructed to observe the Lord's Passover by inspecting their hearts, making confession of their sins, and showing, allowing the Lord to cleanse and purify their souls. But with this Seder meal, there's a small problem. According to the rabbis, only a man, a male, in case you're gender confused, only a man is allowed to certify a home leaven-free. But good luck getting a man to do the cleaning. So the rabbis, <coughs> all men by the way, came up with an ingenious solution called Berachat Hametz, or the search for the leaven. It works kind of like this. The night before Passover, the mom plants a little leaven for dad to find. If she's kind, she'll make it easy to find. But if she's ornery, oy vey, we're going to be looking all night, right? Then dad takes a feather, a wooden spoon, and a napkin, 
and he searches high and low for that little bit of leaven, some kind of bread, a cookie, a Twinkie, something with yeast in it. And he, as he looks around, if the wife is smiling upon him, if he's been good to her, she'll make it probably easy like the same place she left it last year. If she's if not, it could be really difficult. And he finds it. And so what he does is he takes and he scrapes this little piece of leaven into a wooden spoon. He wraps it up in a napkin and he marches off to the synagogue where a bonfire is prepared to throw the leaven away. Now, somebody might say, that's not fair. <laughs> the wife does all the work, and the husband gets all the glory. Ah, but it's the wife who gets to light the candles that officially usher in the Passover. It's called the Birkat Haner, or the ceremonial lighting of the candles. It's done before the first three, or just as the first three stars are appearing in the sky at sunset. And so the mother takes the Haggadah book and she goes into the place for the ceremonial candle lighting and she recites from the book, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by your commandments. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who makes a distinction between the sacred and the profane between light and darkness, and commands us to light the lights of Passover. And it seems appropriate to me that a woman, and not a man, ushers in Passover in lighting the candles. For you see, it was through Mary, a woman, by the will of God, that the light of the world, Jesus Christ, came to us. Just as the prophet Isaiah Isaiah declared, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which is to say, God with us. And Simeon prophesied in Luke chapter 2, 32, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So with the lighting of the candles, the Passover celebration has officially begun. Now you might want to note on the chairs, there are pillows. In the ancient Near East, tradition was that slaves would stand to eat as the Israelites were in Egypt. We read in Exodus chapter 12, 11, and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. So you could say it's the first historical record of take out fast food. But unlike that Passover that we read in Exodus 12, this Seder is observed today as a leisurely meal in the same manner as we saw Christ and his disciples reclining for the feast. You might note they were seated or leaning around what's known as a triclinium. It's a horseshoe set shaped set of tables very low to the ground and they would literally lean on pillows into the table. We read from the description that John was leaning back on Jesus' breast and 
behind Jesus in the position of honor was Judas Iscariot. After the lighting of the candles, now comes the urikats, or ceremonial washing. It's done twice, at the commencement and at the conclusion of the meal. Water is poured over each hand from the tip of the wrist to the wrist to the tip, as demonstrated here. This is a ceremonial washing. You would just pour it over your hand, and then that way, and repeat. You might notice we read just recently on our Sunday mornings in Luke chapter 11 that the Pharisees rebuked Jesus for not washing before the meal. This wasn't one of those soap and scrub type things. It was just ceremonial, and Jesus didn't do it at that time, and he was rebuked. Um, but this is really, it's meant to be a picture of cleansing at the bronze laver, at the Jews in, in the wilderness, okay? Before approaching God, you want to be ceremonial clean. And this is the idea of being clean. Now, there's matzah on the table, and they're not even allowed to touch the matzah until they've cleansed themselves to be ceremonial pure. This is matzah. One piece is matzah. More than one piece are matzo. And what it is, it's an unleavened piece of bread. Um, it's interesting that the way that they make this, okay? Um, in Jesus' day, this would have been more pita-shaped or tortilla-shaped piece of bread, but cooked without any yeast in it. And today, commercially, it's baked quickly on a grill at high heat, and then it's pierced to prevent it rising, Kind of interesting, it brings to mind the Lord Jesus Christ, the bread of life of whom Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now I can be sure this is not why the Jews put stripes on it. They don't recognize Messiah, but they don't understand. They are blinded to see even the things that they do speak of their Messiah. Also, Zechariah prophesied in Zechariah 12.10, then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. And truly, Jesus did say, I am the manna that comes down from heaven. I am that sinless, pure bread of life. And so we have the matzah on the table, and this will be instrumental throughout the meal. At the Passover meal, there will be two linen uh, bags on the table called the matzatash and the afikomen. The matzatash, tash simply means bag. And you want to know what the matzatash is for? It's the bag you put your matzah in, okay? Matzatash. It's got three compartments in it. Kind of a funny shaped bag. Three different compartments. And if you ask the rabbis, why does it have three compartments in it? They'll say, I don't know. <laughs> now, it's caused some people to speculate that each compartment represents maybe the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Others say, no, it represents the priest and the Levites and the people. I think, and Messianic Jews would tell you, 
it represents the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so they would place one piece of matzah in each compartment. This is part of the tradition of the meal. We'll come back to the afikoman later. For us, it brings to mind Jesus Christ, right? And all that he's done for us. Um, now, also on the table, you'll notice four cups of wine or grape juice. This is grape juice. According to Jewish tradition, the Seder is organized around four cups. We read in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great judgments, and I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So these four cups represent God's four promises. I will bring you out, the cup of sanctification. I will rescue you, the cup of plagues. I will redeem you, the cup of redemption. And I will take you, the cup of acceptance or praise. Now the first cup on the table. Uh, at the Seder meal, you would normally have a, a cup of juice in front of you at the table. Um, and you would drink from it four different times throughout the course of the meal. The first cup is called the Kaddish, or the cup of sanctification. The Father lifts the cup and pronounces the blessing. Blessed are you, God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the wine. It's in the same manner that Jesus inaugurated his last supper. We read in Luke chapter uh, 22. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks, the Kaddush, and said, Take this, divide it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And they would drink. So Jesus sanctified his last supper in expectation of all that was about to take place both on that night and for the next 2,000 years to come with the promise that I will bring you out. Now everything has been blessed and sanctified. Everything has a special order and significance for the feast. One of the items that you might notice on the table is what's known as a Seder plate. It's a special plate with little indentations. It looks like someplace you'd put deviled eggs. I assure you, deviled eggs would not be kosher. Okay? So these places are reminders, placeholders, for the six elements of the meal. The carpus, maror, heroseth, the chaseret, the hagiga, and the zaroa. None of that means any sense to you, but I will... Explain as we go. The first item is the carpus. Carpus in Hebrew simply means greens, okay? And generally, they'll be kind of a bitter herb. In this case, we have parsley. And with the carpus, it's a symbol of life, okay? 
There is also on the table a dish of salt water. And uh, those represent the tears of life. So as we dip this sprig of parsley into the salt water and we eat it, we remember our former life in bondage when our lives were immersed in tears. And it might make you cry. And we might remember how God brought us out of bondage with his mighty and stretched out arm, bringing us through the Red Sea and into freedom. So that by his mercy and grace, we may now partake of a life redeemed from tears. The next item on the plate is the maror. Maror is the Hebrew word for bitter. In this case, we have horseradish. If you've seen this before, you know what's coming. <laughs> Maror represents a rigorous life with gathering their straw and making their bricks and just the bondage and their slavery. And so this is the Maror. Now, in Matthew's gospel, verse 26, we read, When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now, as they were eating, he said, Surely I say to you, one of you will betray me. As they were exceedingly sorrow, and each one of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And then in John's Gospel, in chapter 13, we read, And having dipped the bread... He gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said, do what you do quickly. Remember I told you Judas was right next to Jesus? This is the sop. And he would dip in and give it to Judas. Mm. Imagine, rather than rinsing your kid's mouth out with soap, a little dabble do you. <laughs> if every time you were thinking about sinning, you took a little bit of that, boy, it wouldn't take long and you would have aversion therapy right there. The next item on the Seder plate is the charosa, okay? And it's a fruit, nut, relish, symbolizing the mortar that was used with the bricks. It's a fun word to say, charosa. It's kind of a Can you do that? Don't look at your neighbor when you do it. Charosa, okay? And it's made with apples, dates, walnuts, honey, and cinnamon, um, and some people would say, Rabbi, if the heroseth, heroseth represents the mortar of our bondage, then why is it so sweet? And the rabbi would reply, even the bitterest of our toils grew sweet when we knew that our redemption drew near. And so it's kind of nice. It comes after the horseradish in the meal. And it's kind of funny. It just clears away all that bitterness. It's beautiful. The next item 
on the plate is a chazeret, okay? And that is a bitter root. It could be horseradish. In this case, I've got a parsnip. It's a bitter root. And it symbolizes that the very root of life itself can often be bitter. In Hebrews chapter 12, at verse 14, we read, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many became defiled. After their deliverance, the children of Israel wandered in doubt and unbelief in the wilderness, murmuring and complaining until they eventually perished. So, don't eat this. Okay? Since God has delivered us from bondage, don't let any root of bitterness sprout up again. The next item is the kagiga, or a roasted egg. It symbolizes the sacrifice that can no longer be made since the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. So they no longer have a lamb or a sacrifice. What they do is they roast an egg, and they put it on the table, and it reminds them of the sacrifice that cannot be made, called the chagiga. We will have some hard-boiled eggs to dip in salt water for you during the meal. In fact, I'm supposed to do that now. Hmm. Actually, pretty good. <laughs> now, a note on this. According to the book of Exodus, the Paschal Lamb was the central to the Feast of the Passover. And yet, if you look carefully, there is no mention of lamb at the meal in the upper room. Only bread, wine, bitter herbs. You see, Jesus himself was our Paschal Lamb. Okay? So, they're having this meal in preparation day on a Wednesday evening. It'll be 3 o'clock the next day, the next afternoon. While the lambs are being killed for the Passover, Jesus will be crucified. Now, in John chapter 1, verses 29, we read John the Baptist exclaim, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Hebrews 10, 5, 7, we read, Therefore, when he, Jesus, came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God, but that we, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And the final item on the Seder plate is the zoroa, or the shank bone. It also symbolizes that lambs are no longer sacrificed. No more tabernacle, no more temple, no more sacrifice. So according to the rabbis, lamb is no longer to be eaten at a Passover meal. And it's interesting to note, it's to be a whole shank bone, not broken, just as the legs of Jesus Christ were not broken at his crucifixion, according to the prophecy of the scriptures. Coming back to Luke chapter 22, picking up at verse 15 or 14, when the hour had come, he sat down with the 12 apostles with them. Then he said to them, 
with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So this is where we had, have come to. Now we come to a part of the meal, like the four cups, the four questions. It's known as the Ma Nishtana. According to the Haggadah, four questions the child would ask the father during the meal. Ma Nishtana means, what's the difference? Okay, these are the questions and the answers. Question one, the child asks, why is this night different from all others? On other nights, we eat unleavened bread, but on this night, we eat only unleavened bread. The father will answer, on this night, we eat only matzah, bread without yeast, because the Israelites did not have time for their bread dough to rise when they left Egypt in haste. Leaven represents sin that puffs up, and matzah represents purity. The child will then ask, why is this night different from all others? On other nights, we eat herbs, all kinds, but on this night, we eat bitter herbs. The father will ask, a answer, on this night, we eat bitter herbs to remember Israel's terrible life of slavery in Egypt. The child will then ask the third question, why is this night different from all other nights? On other nights, we do not dip our vegetables even one time, but on this night, we dip twice, once in the salt water and once in the cherosa. And the father will answer, on this night, we dip twice, the parsley to remind us of the tears of life and the heroset to remind us of the hope of God's promises. And finally, the child will ask, why is this night different from all other nights? On other nights, we eat sitting or reclining, but on this night, we eat only reclining. And the father answers, on this night, we recline and feast comfortably as free people. Once we were slaves, now we are free. That comes to the second cup called the cup of plagues, or I will rescue you. As you remember, I will sanctify you, I will rescue you. The cup of rescue. Now, we don't drink from this cup right away, okay? Uh, wine symbolizes joy, and a full cup represents fullness of joy. So, we want to lessen our joy as we recall the plagues that God sent to deliver us. So all the family around the table, each with their own cup and their own finger, will dip their finger into the glass and drop wine as they recite each of the plagues in Israel. They'll say, blood, hail, locusts, frogs, lice, flies, pestilence, boils, darkness, death of the firstborn. Now, the tenth plague was the worst of all, okay? God told Israel that they were to take the blood of the lamb and paint it on the top, the lintel of the house, and on the doorposts. Some have seen the symbol of the cross in that. That night, the angel of death passed over those homes covered by the blood of the lamb. The Hebrew word for leaping or springing or the passing over is the word Pesach. It is this act of God sparing those from death who by faith received his mercy and knowledge and gracious sacrifice lamb. So today we celebrate the Lord's Passover as we receive the second cup, the cup of plagues and acknowledge his promise, I will rescue you.
we're distributing the elements. We're about to enter into the part of the Passover meal that Jesus and his disciples shared when he instituted communion, which we take frequently. This is the part of the meal called the afikomen. Remember I told you the two bags, the masatash and the afikomen. Afikomen is a Greek word, and it means that which comes after. But it's used to describe that which comes after supper, which is dessert. So afikomen basically means the dessert. The father removes matzah from the center or middle compartment of the bag. Anybody remember what the middle compartment would represent? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He would remove the matzah, break it in two, replace half back into the middle compartment, and the other half he places inside the afikomen, the dessert bag. Now, while the children close their eyes, he hides the afikomen somewhere in the house. After the meal, the children will hunt for it. But right now, the afikomen has been hidden. Then afterwards, it will be unwrapped and shared by everyone. So, this ritual of afikomen dates from antiquity and it may be a tradition that originated after Jesus' Last Supper in the upper room. We don't see the, the apostles looking for the afikomen there. It's intriguing to see the middle matzah, the Son, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, being broken and hidden three days in the tomb and found, resurrected, to be shared by all. Isn't it interesting that in this meal and all these traditions that have sprung up, so many people are blind to all the pictures of Christ that are right there before us. I remember my whole life wondering, why don't we have wonderful Easter parties and celebrations much like Christmas that revolved around the birth of Christ? And it's because I was not taught this. This is at the heart of the story of God's resurrection of or redemption and resurrection of his son and his people. So, in addition to the celebration of the retelling, the Haggadah, and all of these different pieces, there's a full Seder meal, okay? So, at the conclusion of this morning's service, we have prepared a meal with many of the traditional items that you would share at Passover. There will be chicken, potatoes, mixed veggies, haroseth, hard-boiled eggs, coleslaw, macaroons. On your table, there will be horseradish for those of you brave enough to try it. There's matzah, there's salt water, and there's parsley, so you can enjoy that. But in the search for the afikomen, as the Passover meal draws to a close, the children hunt for the afikomen. The father will pay a ransom to the child who finds the afikomen. So there's a reward in finding our Lord. And then it'll be unwrapped and shared by all. Sound familiar? This is the group participation part. The third cup. Remember, the first cup, the cup of sanctification. I will bring you out. The second cup, 
the cup of rescue or the cup of plagues. And this is the third cup. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great judgments. This is the cup of redemption. This is the cup that we read about in the Gospel of Luke. At verse 19. We read, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's the afikomen, the dessert. And as we do this in remembrance of Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us to sanctify us, to bring us out, to redeem us to himself, we acknowledge that this is all a work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Amen? Take and eat. Likewise, he took the cup after supper. This is after the break. It's after the afikomen. It's after the dessert. This is the third cup that Jesus took. He took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink. You might ask yourself, what new covenant? Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant. In Jeremiah 31, 31, we read, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then comes the second erkatz or the second ritual washing at the end of the meal where you pour the water over your hands. We notice in the Gospel of John, in chapter 13, at the end of the meal, it says, And supper being ended, the devil having already been put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from the supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel, which he was girded. In John 13, 14, it says, Jesus explaining, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Now, some of you have grown up with the tradition of like Good Friday and uh, these days of the week, Monday Thursday. Anybody know Monday, Thursday? Raise your hand. Not too many of you. Okay. Each day has a special name to it. Monday comes from the Latin word mandate. And the mandate, according to the meal in the upper room that Wednesday night, the mandate was that you should love one another as I have loved you. A new mandate, a new commandment I give you that you should love one another as I have loved you. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. And finally, the fourth cup, the cup of acceptance. I will sanctify you. 
I will rescue you, I will redeem you, and I will accept you. This is a cup speaking of something yet future. When God calls us home, we know it as the rapture. The cup of acceptance and praise. In one portion of the Seder dinner uh, was that we talked about was, um, or I, I, I guess I didn't read about it. Should I? In Matthew's Gospels, it talks about the prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. In the Matthew's Gospel, then they sang the hymns. Those are the Hallel's. In your Bible, that's Psalm 111 through Psalm 118. So if you want to know what songs Jesus and the disciples were singing on that first communion, they're in your Bible. They're recorded for you. Um, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And we know that psalm. It's Psalm 118, the last psalm. Worship team, come on up. I'm going to read out of that song to you. It's interesting to note, Psalm 118, the final psalm of the Hallels, is the shortest chapter in your Bible. And, or actually, it's, it's the middle chapter of your Bible. Psalm 117 is the shortest. It's the very middle of your Bible. If you go from chapter to chapter, it's the very middle chapter. And the middle verse of the middle chapter in your Bible is verse 14 of Psalm 118. And this is what it reads. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. And if you think about it, we know the Hebrew word for salvation. That's Yeshua. He has become my Jesus. That's the very heart, the very center of your Bible. And finally, they finish out singing in Psalm 118. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go through them. I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now. Hosanna, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Bless is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. The cup of acceptance, the cup of praise, the cup of joy. This would include, this, con this would conclude the Seder meal that Messianic Jews around the world are celebrating today, and Jews around the world, with one last detail. You might have noticed over here is a plate, an empty plate, and an empty seat. This is known as the cup of Elijah. We read in Malachi that God would send the prophet Elijah before the Messiah as he comes to redeem the people. And Jesus would teach us that if you can understand this, John the Baptist was that herald who came before the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to redeem him. But Jews to this day are still waiting. In fact, they'll have the child at the end of the meal get up, 
go over to the door and open the door just in case Elijah's there. But you know what? Elijah's not there. You know why? Because Jesus is risen and he is here. He's in the house. Amen? There will be a wonderful meal prepared for you. You're welcome to enjoy it. Ransom your kitties from Children's Church so that the teachers can enjoy the meal too. And we're going to close in a word of uh, a word, a word of prayer, and a little bit of praise. If you'll bow your hearts with me, Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, that you have given us opportunity to remember you every day and in every way. And as we come to this season of the year, Lord, you've put it in your word that we would celebrate this feast in remembrance of you. That's an everlasting ordinance. It's something that we would do, that we would let our light shine. That world may see that we are not the same, but we are children of the Most High God. I pray this week you would give us special opportunity to share with the world that you are king. You are victorious. We win. And uh, that we have an opportunity to invite anybody that wants to come along. Help us, Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit to fulfill your will in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and worship. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.